0: Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Owasso, Oklahoma. Our passion is to show that grace changes everything in Jesus Christ by equipping you to rest in worship, grow in community, and rediscover your calling. To join our body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at TrinityOwasso.com. If you have a Bible, please grab it and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You'll remember in our series in 1 Corinthians that Corinth was the setting of a church that was a total mess. The ethics of that church were all over the place. And Paul writes to them from Ephesus, To answer their questions and add a few uh, suggestions of his own. Not suggestions, but indeed commands for them to obey. And before I read the passage this morning, I want to invite you to think about the best community that you've ever been a part of. What is the best community you have ever experienced? How would you describe it? If you've experienced stunning community, I want you to reflect back on it. What was it like? Would you see, taste, touch, feel, hear? If you've ever experienced remarkable community, I want you this morning to imagine what it might be like. If you've never experienced community in a way that is memorable to you or you've been hurt by community, I want you again to hear the text read that I'm about to read and I want you to imagine what it could be. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is a picture of us of what beautiful biblical community can be. And I want us to taste it because the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is not just turning our head from the warp and wolf of our life away from sin. It is turning you to something beautiful that you need. And here in First Corinthians 12, we get just a taste of it. So if you're willing and able, would you stand together for the reading of God's word? I will read verses one to 11, and then I will skip down, and I will read 27 through 31. First Corinthians chapter 12. by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between Spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you still a more excellent way. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please. Verse 1, chapter 12. Now concerning. Whenever you read that verse, that phrase in 1 Corinthians, Paul is transitioning to a brand new topic. He's turning his attention to a new topic about which the Corinthians themselves wrote and asked for clarification. He uses the same transition when he talks about marriage in chapter 7, verse 1. He uses the same phrase when he talks about singleness in chapter uh, 7, verse 25. He uses the same phrase when he talks about food offered to idols in chapter 8, verse 1. This is Paul coming back to his letter to answer their direct question. And he says, now concerning pneumaticon, spiritual. It's an adjective in Greek, and there's no object to the adjective. What, what, do you, what is it, Paul? Uh, it's a favorite term of Paul's. He uses it 15 times in 1 Corinthians, but he uses it no more than three times in any other book that he writes. What does it mean? Spiritual people? He uses the term towards spiritual people in chapter 2, verse 3, and verse 15. He uses it towards spiritual things and other passages in in his writings. Spiritual gifts, maybe. What does he mean here? And the way that you understand the Bible is you have to read the context. You have to know what the context says. And if you turn over one chapter or two chapters to chapter 14, you see in chapter 14, verse 1, he uses the exact same word, and it there very clearly refers to spiritual gifts. And it's a continuation of this topic that he has begun. And so in that context, in 14.1, it clearly refers to spiritual gifts. And that's why your English translations say, now concerning spiritual gifts. Gifts, But in the Greek, it, gifts is not there. And in 14.1, he literally says, now concerning the charismata, the spiritual gifts, the gifts of charis. Charis means grace, the gifts of grace, now concerning the gifts of grace. And we don't know the original question of the Corinthians about exactly what they asked about uh, spiritual gifts in the letter that Chloe brought to uh, Paul. But we can assume by the questions that Paul answers what their question was. And Paul asks four questions, or he answers four questions. Number one, spiritual gifts. Who has them? Number two, how do we know they're real? Number three, what exactly are they? And number four, how can we put ours to use? Who has them? How do we know they're real? What are the gifts? How do we put them to use? Paul answers those questions in this chapter, so let's go. First, who has them? In Corinth at the time, it was acceptable that people with particular endowments or talents or gifts, as they used those gifts, and the more enthusiastic, all the better, it communicated to the community of Corinth that those people were spiritually closer to God than others. And at times, they behaved in a particular manner, with a particular enthusiasm, with a frenzied excitement in a way that drew attention to them, that they were the ones that they spoke in languages other people didn't understand, that they they had prophetic insights about certain situations that people were amazed by. And, And these things made the virtuous Christian life of the everyday and the mundane, the normal living of the Christian life, seem less than the Christian life that those who had the big spiritual gifts that were so bold in using them had. And Paul writes to Corinth and says regardless of what spiritual gift you have you are to use it for the beauty of one another. And it's not those who speak in tongues and it's not those who have the gift of prophecy. It's not those who have the gift of healing or of miracles. They are not any better in their being or their essence than anybody else. They're not closer to God. You're all close to God because you've been purchased with the righteousness and by an act of Faithfulness, not your own. You're all close to God, therefore. And in light of that, use your gifts. Paul says that the Holy Spirit comes not on a few outstanding individuals, but Romans chapter 8. He comes on everybody. Verses 9 and 14 of Romans 8. And the presence of the Spirit is demonstrated in the way that we manifest the fruits of the Spirit, the chief of which he talks about in chapter 13 that we're going to spend several weeks on beginning next, next week. The chief mark is love. And Paul is setting up his chapter on love by saying that as you demonstrate the gifts of the community, you do so in an utterly unique way that's different than any other community you're a part of in the world. And Paul agrees that the more enthusiastic gifts have their place, but they don't have a preeminent place. That place belongs to love. And when God's people use their gifts in service to one another, the entire church is built up in faith and hope and what? And love. So, who are those that have these special gifts from the Holy Spirit? Brothers, he says, I do not want you to be uninformed. Uninformed is the word that we get agnostic from. I don't want you to be without knowledge. You know that when you were Gentiles, when you were ethne, when you were pagans, which assumes that they are Christians now, when you were pagans, when you were, non, uh, when you were following the, the idols of the land, you were susceptible. But, but you now have been given spiritual gifts. So Paul is saying, who has spiritual gifts? All Christians have spiritual gifts. All Christians have spiritual gifts. And by Paul calling them formerly Gentiles, what is he therefore positively calling them? Presently Jewish. Spiritually Jews. Spiritually his covenant people. Spiritually his which is kind of a wink and a nod to the fact that all the covenant promises given to ancient Israel were given to the church. He calls them formerly Gentiles, which assumes that they are now his people, his covenant people. And so all Christians have these gifts. Now, verse 4, there are a variety of gifts but the same spirit. And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in some of the real spiritual people, some of the real gifted people, some of the teachers, some of the elders, some of the deacons. No, it says in everyone. And who is everyone? Everybody in Corinth who had turned from pagan idols to worship the one true God. So, what is Paul's point? Paul's point is to teach us that everybody if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, has spiritual gifts. Everyone. And it's so important for us to realize because look, look around the room. When you read sermon titles called Concerning Spiritual Gifts, you immediately think of your gifts. You immediately think of what is my, what's my spiritual enneagram? What's, what's my person, what, what is What is my gift? But remember, church. When, whenever there's teaching on spiritual gifts, it's always in the context of community. So, unindividualize yourself, please. Is that a term? We just made it up. One of Satan's most nuanced tactics has been to isolate and focus our culture and the church on individuals' choice and freedom. Blame it on 1789 and the French Revolution. Blame it 400 years ago on the turn of the tide toward institutional church, toward the Reformation. Find out wherever you want to blame it. It's been going on for hundreds of years. This is not something that we've experienced the last 20 years. And deep within Western civilization is an individualistic value of preference and choice, and it's crushing the church. It's crushing it. 300 years ago, you went to the village church. That's where you went to church. But now we shop for months. And I'm not, con- I'm not condemning those who shop. Of course, you need to find the right church that fits you. There's no doubt about it. But once you plug into a church, you tend to get, dis- get uncomfortable by something. And the temptation to leave becomes so amazingly broad. And so if you're here and you're, you're from another church, we want to welcome you, but I also want to challenge you. Are you here for a healthy reason? Because we need to unindividualize so much of ourselves. Do you know that there are children's books that the great theologian Jamie Lee Curtis, you remember Jamie Lee Curtis, right? Jamie Lee Curtis, and, and um, there's another author that came alongside her named Laura Cornell that wrote a children's book to kids called Me, My Selfie, and I. To teach children the most valuable things in life are not your phone because mommy can't put her phone down. This is what the publishers write. For mom's birthday, her kids are excited to teach her how to take selfies with her new smartphone. At first, it's lots of fun for the whole family, and soon, driven to take the perfect selfie, mom begins to document everything from ski team practice to dance class, and even photobombing someone's wedding, until her daughter reminds her that maybe the smartphone wasn't the best gift after all. In a world obsessed with self documentation, comes a tale that shows us with humor and love that the best things happen while the smartphone is turned off. It's a children's book because mom and dad can't put their phone down. (laughs) Another author uh, writes What happens when one strand of the reality is singled out and stretched too far? It's hardly surprising. Wider reality springs back and has the last laugh. Pressed too far, for example, reason becomes rationalism and rebounds into mysticism. Or freedom becomes anarchy and rebounds into authoritarianism. And Satan and his dominion has thus become masters of irony and connoisseurs of the art of the side effect. The unintended consequence and the unknown aftermath. Reality and in individual Western life rebounds, and things turn out the opposite of what they seem or what people expect. Strength becomes weakness, love becomes pornography, and pleasures become boredom, and so on. Who has spiritual gifts? All Christians have spiritual gifts. And how do we know that they're real? Well, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Holy Spirit ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. How do you know they're real spiritual gifts? Number one, they proclaim Jesus as Lord. They make much of Jesus there was a school in Dallas, a private school in Dallas, that had a crest, and on the crest it said, Nobis non nobis, which is a Latin, the uh, first few words of Psalm 105. Not to us, O Lord, not to us. That ought to be on our mirrors. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, because we make much of Him. In Corinth, some may have taken Paul's teaching that Jesus become a curse for us as some ecstatic utterance. You know, he says that in Galatians 3, and uh, Galatians, you remember, was written about seven years before uh, Corinth was probably, uh, Corinthians were probably written. And therefore, the... the, the Paul says, you know, uh, he quotes Deuteronomy, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And so people were using that in an ecstatic utterance saying, you know, Jesus is the curse for us. And it could have been that that was a buzzword that the real spiritual people used. Or another interpretation of that phrase in 1 Corinthians 12 might be that the gifts were drawing attention away from the building up of the body of Christ. It's hard exactly to know based upon what we have in 1 Corinthians but Paul says every spiritual gift will proclaim Christ is Lord. And Paul's point is that there is no secret code. There's no insider language of the true spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts don't draw attention to ourselves, but they reflect onto the glory of Jesus. False gifts attract attention. False gifts suck the air out of the room and make it all about Me. But Paul says, no, true spiritual gifts proclaim the beauty and glory and power and sufficiency and holiness and faithfulness and grace of our Lord Jesus. They make much of him. And not only do spiritual gifts proclaim Christ as Lord, but Verse 7, spiritual gifts build up the body of Christ. They are for the common good of the body. This is common good of the church. It's not common good referring to the, to the wider world, although there are aspects in which your spiritual gift will bless the wider world. Some of you are amazing administrators, and you do an amazing job at work administrating your gifts, using your gifts in your career. It's beautiful. It spills over into the world. And as we'll talk about in a minute, sometimes that's how you discover what your gifts are. You find yourself affirmed in ways that you're surprised by in your natural abilities. But to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And humble everyday service is not to be despised, it's for the common good. Some of you get great joy in helping behind the scenes, it's beautiful. Some of you get great joy in teaching. It's beautiful. Some of you get great joy in leading. Wonderful. Some of you get great joy in being the best introvert in this church. And it's awesome. Because you probably know more people than anybody else in this church. Verse 5, And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God. In all their diversity, God's gifts are to be used to proclaim him as Lord and build up the body of Christ. It is the same God. The emphasis Paul is trying to make is that this is about what God does, not about what you do. It is the same Lord. It is what God does in believers. It is all about him. And the schismatic, individualistic view of spiritual gifts contradicts the purpose of gifts. For Paul, spiritual gifts are the qualities and empowerments that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit give to his people in order to make them effective in building up the body of Christ. How about you? Gifts alone are a dead grace. Gifts must be led and must be fueled by grace. John Flavel, the, the Puritan, once wrote, Sin and the reign and power of it may cohabit with the most excellent natural gifts under the same roof. I mean, in the same heart, even. A man may have the tongue of angels in the heart of a devil. The learned Pharisee were but painted sepulchers. Gifts are but as a fair glove drawn over a foul hand. And many... A professing believer. Jonathan Edwards. Writes, I would entreat the people of God to be very cautious how they heed such things. I have seen them fail in many instances and know by experience and impressions being made with great power upon the minds of true, yea, eminent saints, even in the midst of extraordinary exercises of grace and sweet communion with God, and attended with texts of scripture strongly impressed upon the minds that these are no sure signs of there being true revelations from heaven or demonstration of gifts. They who leave the sure word of the prophecy which God has given us as a shining light in a dark place, namely his word, to follow such impressions and impulses, leave the guidance of the polar star to follow a jack with a lantern, Edwards writes. No wonder, therefore, that sometimes they are led into woeful extravagances. In uh, the Treaty on Religious Affections, uh, Edwards answers that question. What are true religious affections? Because marketing has blinded us in this day and age to so much of what is real. And Edwards asks the question, and he says, okay, what can Satan imitate? That's no sign of true religious affections. Can Satan have faith? Well, surely the demons believe in God, and they shudder. Can Satan demonstrate amazing powers and miracles? Of course. Remember the story of, of, uh, of, of Pharaoh's sorcerers when, when Moses was, was uh, leading Israel to leave Pharaoh. Remember the demonstration, right, of all the power and the might of the Egyptian gods. Can Satan imitate that? Of course. Can Satan memorize scripture? Buddy, he's got more stars in his chart than you could ever imagine when he tempted our Lord how did he tempt our Lord? well Satan tempted him with scripture because the guy knows it he knows it and Edward says the only true only true sign that you are really his and that you're really using your gifts is that you will be able to demonstrate the one thing Satan cannot and that is faith through persecution and suffering because at the moment that Satan has to suffer for the name of Christ he's out he's out But it is the saint, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, who endures incredibly difficult circumstances for the cause of Christ and the fame of his name that show you the sure sign that they're believers. And so, Satan will never be able to sing with William Cooper. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercies and shall break with blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace because behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Satan would be out. I'm not going to suffer. And in the church, so much of our life together and so much of what, what makes community groups honest Is that we're able to talk about the way that we've struggled together. And our marriages, if your marriage is perfect, would you please stand up? If you have blind spots um, that uh, you're shocked by, if I asked that question, would you please stand up? We'd all stand up. (laughs) How do you know your gifts are real? They persevere through suffering. They build up the body of Christ. They proclaim Christ as Lord. And we need each other to do that, which takes us to the next point. What are, what are the gifts? Well, there are four gifts, uh, 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 four lists in Scripture 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, Uh, Romans 12, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, and then another place down the line in in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 28 through 31. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, Paul lists these gifts. Distinguishing spirits, healings, interpretation of tongues, knowledge, miracles, prophecy, tongues, wisdom. At the end of 1 Corinthians 12, he lists administration, apostleship, healing, helping, interpreting tongues, miracles, prophecy, teaching, in Romans 12, contributing to the needs of others, encouragement, leadership, mercy, prophecy, serving, teaching. Ephesians 4, apostleship, evangelism, evangelism, prophecy, pastor, teacher. And these are not all of them. Each list is not comprehensive. It it includes other gifts, not not mentioned by name. There in, uh, in Exodus, for example, in Exodus 35, it mentions artistry and crafts and teaching as gifts given to edify Israel. Might scrapbooking be a spiritual gift? <laughs> Does it glorify God? Does it build up the body of Christ? You decide. All gifts are necessary in their proper function for the body, and the lists given in Scripture are not exhaustive, which means that you are utterly unique and different than anybody else the Lord has made. You are you. You are totally unique, and God intends you to use the gifts he has given to you to make this place beautiful. Imagine the reason why you're part of every community or every social group that you have ever joined in your entire life. Why did you join that group? The vast, vast majority of the reasons why you joined that group, in almost every case, was because of shared preference. You join the hunting group because you like to hunt. You join the social group because you like to do the things that they are doing together. The, 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 you know, the, the car group, you join the, you the, the um, whatever group it is, you join it, and so on, right? You join it because of preference. But but what if Paul is trying to help us turn on its head our understanding of how a community is shaped by saying that you don't join because of preference, the body of Christ. You're part of the body of Christ because of a shared investment that has been made into you by the Father through the Holy Spirit, into you, to make you utterly unique and special. And therefore, this church needs you. It needs you as much as it needs me or the elders of this church. There's no preeminent gift in this church. We need you. And the stained glass of the church are the faces in the room and the way that we encourage each other and that we show each other. But the real question becomes not what are the gifts because the gifts in Scripture are not exhaustive. They just begin to whet our appetite. And the only gift, for example, that's mentioned in all four of the New Testament lists is the gift of prophecy. And I, I don't have time to go off on a tangent because it's not Paul's point in the text about which gifts are still here, which gifts aren't. But let me just very quickly say that the gift of prophecy is proclaiming God's truth to the current day. That's the gift of prophecy. And In the Old Testament, it was foretelling and forthtelling. But with the closing of the canon, now... Prophecy is forth-telling. It is telling you what God's Word says in ways that are specific and applicable to you. But it's always telling you what God's Word says and communicating it to you in a way that pierces the heart because it is applying God's Word to you based upon Scripture. Prophecy is not declaring something new. The canon of Scripture is closed, friends. It is the authority of life. And so anybody who has the gift of prophecy is somebody who just isn't a great encourager of what God's Word says to you. They have a prophetic word for you they're not declaring something beyond scripture they're encouraging you with what scripture already says in a way that connects with your heart they're declaring god's word for you today and the the term apostle which shows up in this passage apostle big a no longer exists there were 12 big a apostles not plus paul perhaps right he was called an apostle of the lord so 13 and that role has ceased in the church because God has given us his closed canon. And so in some denominations today, you may hear people say, well, I'm an apostle of the Lord. Well, an apostolos just means a sent one and you can be an apostle, little a, okay, great. (laughs) But you are not an apostle like Peter and Matthias and Thomas and Andrew were because that was for a unique time to communicate God's word in the early church before God could close his canon by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the last question Paul's answer is, how do you put your gifts to use? And and he he asks these rhetorical questions at the very end. Are all teachers? Do not all work miracles? Do not possess gifts of healing? Do not all speak with tongues? Do not all interpret? What is he trying to do? He's trying to help them imagine who they are and how they put their gifts to use. And um, this this summer, we took a picture, a family picture of, of, uh, of our family at the beach. We took a bunch of these pictures. There was a whole b- bunch of pictures. And you know how, what it's like after your family takes family photos. You look at the photos, and we took a bunch of photos. And I looked at these photos, and I thought, ah, there's only one of those that actually looks like me. Because the truth is, I've only seen myself in a mirror distorted though it may be, and my impression of myself is always a mediated impression of myself. And so what I think about myself is always reflected back, whether in a a mirror or in a photo, but you can know more about me in 10 seconds than I can know in the whole of my life because you actually see me as I am, not as I imagine myself to be or as I appear through a mirror. And the same is true in the spiritual life. Community groups are so incredibly important for you because you need feedback in your life to know what your gifts are. How do you know how to put your gifts to use? You have to have an awareness to grow in your understanding of your gifts. You have to have intentionality in developing those gifts, and you have to have generosity in coming alongside others to help them find their gift. So very quickly, before we take the Lord's Supper, I just want to mention a couple of practical ways to find your gift. Number one, awareness. Reflect. Just like these rhetorical questions by Paul at the very end of this chapter are trying to get the Corinthians to reflect. Reflect. What are your passions? How have you helped others? What skills do you use to benefit others? Ask other people that you trust to give you the plain truth about yourself. What do they see? because they see you in a way that you don't see you. Just like when you look at a photo, some of those photos, only some of those photos look like us because we're used to seeing ourselves in a certain light. And gathering input to see yourself through the eyes of others is one extremely powerful way. So gather feedback. Secondly, look for patterns. What do you hear? maybe in a community group this is an exercise where you can just help identify the gifts of one person in that group what are they here what patterns emerge and after you identify and name your strengths you see the patterns you you begin to develop them you look for opportunities of how to use those gifts you're intentional about putting those use those gifts to use you're not just aware of them but you're intentionally putting them to use and then lastly you're you're generous to others You're helping others, you're coming alongside them to help them learn how to use their gifts. This is what Paul was trying to say. There's no preeminent gifts in the church. We all need each other. Guys, imagine what this place could be if we really lived this way. It'd be amazing. There's so many needs of our church and they're only gonna explode in the coming months as we begin to move into a building of our own. We need your help. And it's not transactional. We want you to use your gifts in a way that glorify God. You can use them at church if you want to, use them at work, it doesn't matter to me, use your gifts. Some of you even use your gifts to bless other churches' ministries in this town, to which I say, yes, go for it. Do it, you're blessing nonprofits started by other community, uh, other churches. That's beautiful, go for it. One of the, one of the uh, greatest demonstrations of, of, um, of gifts or of showing honor to others and, and a sense of unity in a community happened um, uh, the 13th of September in 2011. And one of the greatest demonstrations of leadership in, Quen- in Queen Elizabeth's life, I think, happened that day. And if you remember that day, you know, if you've ever been to Buckingham Palace in London, you know that there's a changing of the guard Right. And in you know, and the, and the, and the Clearbrook uh, 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 band is there, and they play the music. And what, what's, what's the song that they always play? Every year, they played it every changing to the guard since 1660. They play the, the, the national anthem of England, which is, "God save the Queen." And on September 13th, without publicizing it, or thousands of people joined uh, to watch at the gates of Buckingham Palace. And during the changing of the guard, the Clearbrook band comes out to play. And instead of playing God Save the Queen, what did they play? They played the American National Anthem. And it was stunningly beautiful to hear the British changing of the guard play the National Anthem of a country that had left them 250 years before that to praise as a sign of unity and joy. And people clung to the gates of Buckingham Palace and they sang the American National Anthem during the changing of the guard in the heart of the heart of the British monarchy. It's beautiful. What would it be like if this church used her gifts in a way to so bless our city and to so bless each other That those of you who feel isolated begin to find your people. Could it be by the using of your gifts? Could it be by us breaking down the walls that say some gifts are preeminent over others? No! Jesus, the Lord, came to bring His bride and make her beautiful. And He's called you. And He intends to make you beautiful. What characterizes the most beautiful community you've ever been a part of. There is something bigger than just the reason why you were there, something transcendent, something powerful, whether it's a team or a program or a project. How much more transcendent and powerful do we have all together the call of the Lord Jesus Christ to be his hands and feet in the world, empowered not just by instructions, but by being empowered by his very Holy Spirit who indwells us. Think of what the church could be. And come to the Lord's table this morning in celebration of your Savior who died to make it so. Would you trust him? And would you use your gifts to proclaim him as Lord and to build up the body of Christ. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Trinity, please visit our website at trinityowasso.com.